So welcome once again as we begin this series on a new heavens and a new earth, the end that will someday be. We welcome you whether you're new to Amazing Love or been here for a while. And, and one of the great things about a church is being part of a community. And so I wanted to start off with a little team building exercise as we get to know one another, if that's okay. And uh, to do this, I wanted to see how many of the fears we have in common. So again, I'm going to ask you a fear. You're just going to raise your hand to see if you have this in common with everyone else. Are you ready? All right, so let's talk about fears. First of all, are you afraid of spiders? If you're afraid of spiders, raise your hand. Some are lying. I know it. I know some are afraid. I was at Camp Phillip once, and there was a guy with no fear of spiders. would take a daddy long legs, rip the legs off the spider, and it was just gross and cruel and don't do it, but he was not afraid of spiders. All right, next one. Um, how many here are afraid of needles? Needles and shots. I don't want it. Please don't draw my blood. Um, I have squirrely veins that don't stay put. That's gross, I know. Um, yeah, all right. Um, what about this? Afraid, afraid of heights, like bungee jumping, skydiving is not in your future. Right, right? Um, how many are afraid of the dark? Okay, a few, yeah, okay. How many think this is the coolest Halloween costume they saw? <laughs> Jabba the Hutt and Princess Leia. That's awesome. Now, that was just free team building. That had nothing to do with fears, but that was Jabba the Hutt and Princess I would love that, right? Sorry. Um, and finally, <laughs> how many are afraid, and this is kind of serious now, how many are afraid of what we're talking about today? How many have some legitimate fears when it comes to talking about the end of the world, end of life issues? I think that is natural. And I would say if you have fear concerning that, you're in good company. You're not alone. And so one of the neat goals for the next coming weeks, the next three weeks, is to look at those things of God. And I believe through what God is telling us, we can actually be fine. Maybe not all fears removed, but feel fine. Maybe even anticipate the end of the world. But when it comes to the end, I think so many people get wrapped up in the wrong questions. I can talk more about the end of the world. And, and one of the, the wrong questions to ask about the end of the world is when. And, and when people ask when or want to know when, usually you get led astray. And, and so many people have taken upon themselves to prophesy when they thought it was the end. Some of the first who prophesied the end was Hippolytus, Sextus, and Irenus. 
And uh, they went off of the dimensions of Noah's Ark and somehow proved from Noah's Ark that the world would end in 500 A.D. I'm glad that didn't happen. I wouldn't be here. But, uh, but they predicted 500 A.D. Others, uh, Christopher Columbus, who discovered America, he thought he also had discovered the end of time. His prediction was 1656 or 1658, depending on what you read. Um, but he too thought he knew the end. You guys remember hearing about the Mayan calendar? That was probably more recent. Um, they thought at the end of this calendar, December 21st, 2012, that would signify the end. And uh, they should have been a Thrivent member, because if I'm a Thrivent member, I get a free calendar sent to me. They just needed a new calendar, right? Um, and so the question is not when, dear friends. And Jesus lets us know that straight up front when it comes to these issues of the end of the world. Look at these words of Jesus. He says, but about that day or hour, the end, no one knows. Not Harold Camping, not Christopher Columbus, not even the angels in heaven, get this, nor even the sun. Jesus says according to his humanity, he doesn't even know. That's craziness. And, and so from this, what we can deduce is that if someone tells you with certainty that they know when it will end, you can know with certainty they are wrong, right? That, that's what we discover. Um, next, we, we know that another bad question to ask about the end of time is how or what? Is to ask how or what. Now the Mayans, back to them, they thought that this world would be destroyed by this asteroid, Nibiru, that would come into and, and just... And some now have updated theories and said, no, the world is going to end through the use of nuclear power. We're just going to nuke everyone and that's, that'll be the end. Um, I was reading one theory that's more like Star Trek to me. Some think that it's going to be like the creation of a black hole that will suck up the whole world and, and go from there. Um, I don't know how. And the what that Jesus describes is that as he went up in the clouds, he's going to come down with the clouds. That's the only what I'm looking forward to along with the trumpet sound, but, but as far as how, I don't know. And so it's not going to be helpful to ask when, it's not going to be ask, helpful to ask how or what, but here's what I believe the end is all about. The question is who. That if you get who right, you can handle the end of the world feeling fine. You ever hear the phrase, it's not what you know, but who you know? You ever hear that phrase? I was watching Dancing with the Stars. Actually, my wife watches Dancing with the Stars, so I do by association. And uh, there's this dancer, uh, Leah Remini, and, um, and I don't want to spoil things, and I'm not trying to be cruel, but I don't think she's probably the best dancer. Sorry if that's any flack. And, and so I think she did like the ultimate name dropping. She was practicing and, and who happened to come by while she's on national television? Jennifer Lopez. All right. You know, and, and so now she has Jennifer Lopez's approval. And, and I believe that helped her garner these votes because uh, she wants to stay on. She's still there. So name dropping. It's not what you know, but who you know. That's going to be essential at the very end. It's not about what, not how smart you are, not what you did, not, not what you produced. It's going to be about who you know. Look at these words of Jesus. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. If you know the Son, if you know what Jesus did and what that means, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son, doesn't know, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So handling the end, feeling the fine, is all about finding Jesus. We find this first principle that you can feel fine about the end if you found Jesus. And, and see, even if you're new to Christianity today, I want you to know you're in a great place because we're on a never-ending quest to see his beauty, to learn more about him, to learn of his love, and he is for you. So welcome to this place.
And we're going to dig in more into what God says about the end of time today. And we're going to learn now how if we have Jesus above all things, that will truly matter and how to play to an audience of one. So let's get into our scripture reading. Um, it's recorded to page, of, uh, page 7 in the middle of the page. Um, these are, are Jesus' words himself about the end of time. All right. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, believers or sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Well, then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did you see hungry or feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the Word of God. And so we're going to talk more about playing to an audience of one whose opinion really, really matters and talk a little bit about the separation of sheep and goats. So let's get into it. I wanted to get your mind going around the craziest thing you ever done to win the approval of someone else. Craziest thing you ever done to win the approval or the opinion of someone else. I was looking into the Polar Bear Club to see if there was one in Chicago. And, and sure enough, there is a polar bear club of, of people who, like-minded, want to jump into uh, Michigan, uh, Lake Michigan during the midst of January and experience this together. That, that's craziness to me, but I guess for this group mentality, that's good. Maybe it's a marathon. Any marathon runners? I, I think, you know, one guy did it, didn't work out so well, but now it's popular, um, you know, if others are runners, to run 26.2 miles. That's, that's craziness. When I think about the crazy things done to get acceptance, my mind goes to high school. Does anyone else go to high school? And I will never forget, I have many instances, but I remember freshman year trying to make a name for yourself and getting to know. And I met a guy named Matt. And I thought Matt was cool. I wanted to get his opinion. I wanted to get his approval. And so Matt and I went to the mall and we went shopping. And, uh, and while we were there, we saw like the craziest print outfit we ever saw. It was these Bermuda shorts at Gap that were just like ugly and loud. And then it had this matching hat that was also ugly and loud. And, and so we have fun trying this ridiculous outfit on, kind of laughing at each other. But he gets the idea that maybe we should wear this outfit into public. And so we're on a band trip and in the midst of St. Louis and we have this just crazy outfit on and, and you should have seen people staring. We looked ridiculous. But all to gain the approval of Matt, who I thought was cool. 
And I thought I was being cool just to fit in. What about you? Anything you ever given to, maybe it was high school, maybe it still is today, maybe it's a boss. I was reading a book that uh, I was thinking of doing a sermon series on called The Lies We Believe. And one of the lies we are tempted to believe is that everyone should like us. I have to have the approval of everyone, that no matter what group I'm in, they approve of what I do. Now, if I would poll you as we step away from that, is that possible? Can every group truly like you? It's not possible. Ask Packers and Bears fans. You can't be both, right? <laughs> that will be a false dichotomy, right? And, and so we know that we cannot garner the approval and acceptance of everyone. And yet we try so hard to do that. In the book, it described that this presents a lose-lose scenario. If you're really trying to please everyone, this is what it said. It said, each day then is a lose-lose proposition and presents the same life-draining task. Can I gain and keep people's approval? And the answer is we can't. And yet, as I speak to you today, maybe there is someone that sticks out in your mind of someone who you're living for. Maybe it's a boss that you'd really like to impress. Maybe it's a romantic relationship of which you'd really like them to, to know you better. And maybe it's someone um, at home. Maybe it's even our kids that, that we just want them to be happy. I want you to know that if we live primarily for the acceptance or approval of anyone else but God, this will set you up for heartache and eventually could be very painful for you. You consider my example of Matt. Now, Matt led me to do something kind of crazy, harmless, but Matt's no longer in my life. I look back and part of my life history is doing this crazy activity for someone whose opinion no longer matters. It doesn't matter. I have no contact with this person anymore. And yet I was drawn to do something for them. Some of us have had a bigger experience. Maybe there was someone that, that influenced you and it changed the course of your life based on what you did. And though your life has changed, that person you were living for is no longer there. That's ridiculous. And that is the danger of being swayed by the opinions of this person or that person and giving in to pleasing everyone. You can't do it. And so God presents a better way. And Paul gives us this principle of playing to an audience of one. In Galatians 1, it says this. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, there will come a point in your life where if you try to follow Jesus and please everyone, it won't happen. It can't happen. Paul knew this too well. You see, Paul, he lived his life and some people bowed down to him as, he, as if he was a god. Other people stoned him, <laughs> wanted him out of the town. He couldn't make everyone happy based on how he was going to live for the Lord and what he was acting, what he was preaching. It wasn't possible. And so we have a choice to make. Daily and with finality, whose approval are we living for? Now, as we consider the end of time, as we turn back to our lesson, we see that this is a very important question. Look again at verse 32 with me. Verse 32. There it says, All the nations will be gathered. So that includes us. We will someday be there. And he will separate people from one 
one from another as sheep, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Whose opinion will matter at the end? Is your high school friend's opinion going to matter at the end of time? Is that boss you're trying to please going to matter at the end of time? Will your spouse's opinion matter at the end of time? Will mama's opinion matter at the end of time? Not even mama's opinion will matter. There will be one that matters, dear friends. And that is the opinion of God. And so this is what we learn, that, that again, in the end, only one opinion matters. And that leads us then to this next principle that right now there is only one opinion that should matter. Because if we live for anyone else, we could be drawn away from that one. Now, as you look for examples of someone who did this well, who played to an audience of one, Paul is a good example, but another good example is Martin Luther. Martin Luther, where we get our name Lutheran from. And uh, we look back this week and we considered the Reformation. And during that time, God used a man to reveal that salvation is a gift of God. See, at the time Luther was living, the Catholic Church was selling indulgences, basically saying you could pay your way to God. You could pay off your sins. Luther, going back to the Word, he said, no, that, that's not what Ephesians 2 says. That it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And Luther went on to expose his truth to many others, writing and preaching and, and praying and getting all over. And it all came to a culmination at uh, the Diet of Worms, which uh, I have a picture here. There's a big meeting of the Catholic Church's representatives, and, and there's Martin Luther with a crazy haircut. Man, I'm glad I don't have to be a pastor with that tonsure. Like, yeah, that's bad. Um, anyway, but it, this crazy culmination, and the threat was if you don't recant, if you don't take back what you said, you'll be labeled a heretic and you could possibly die. And that threat of death was real. A century earlier, Jan Hus was burned at the stake, labeled a heretic. People at this time could have killed Luther without any legal ramifications, banned as an outlaw. But he said, amidst all this pressure, no, I, I cannot. I cannot take back what I said. It would not be right or safe to go against my conscience. And unless convinced by the Bible, I will not stop. This was for a man whose intent was never to split up the church. But he knew he had to play to an audience of one. You and I have that same opportunity. And just as God used Martin Luther, so do you know when we truly do this, when we truly do what it is best, it can be impactful for those around us. Starting with our family, going into work, going on to many other areas. To talk about this further though, and why it's important to play to an audience of one, I want to talk about um, my daughter Bella. Bella is seven years old and um, recently I thought she's old enough to finally handle a knife. And this wasn't a butcher's knife, I gave her a butter knife. And we had a lot of apples for apple picking, and uh, I thought that it'd be a good exercise to teach her how to cut up an apple with a butter knife. Okay, and uh, she gave it her best effort, and we had like diced apples. It was almost applesauce, because she just kept, it was great. A couple days later, out of nowhere, I'm in the kitchen, and Bella picks up not a butter knife, but a steak knife. And she doesn't ask. And she's going to town on a carrot now. And I have to like run over there like, what are you doing? Why are you picking up the steak knife? Get that steak knife to me. I wasn't ready, and, and maybe you would agree, for my seven-year-old to go to the block of knives and handle any of the sharpest knives and thing. And why? Is it because I'm mean? No, because I know she probably can't handle it. 
that yes, maybe she'd do good for a while, but it only takes one bad thing for there to be true danger, maybe a hospital visit. Um, give me that steak knife. You are not ready for it. As we talk about playing to an audience of one, I want you to know, just as my daughter was not built and not able to handle a steak knife, the reason it's so good to play to an audience of one is because no one else is built and no one else is ready to handle your unconditional allegiance. Did you get that? Now you can hear it with clarity. No one else is, is able to handle this unconditional allegiance as you give them your approval and as you try to win their acceptance on a regular basis. They might handle your love or support or your obedience most of the time, but eventually they will fail you. And I think we've all had this experience. You ever tried to please someone and it didn't go well? You ever worked your heart out to, to maybe make the favorite meal or, or wear the special um, you know, clothes or you really planned something great and, and it didn't go well? This happens, right? That's because not everyone is ready for this allegiance. Not everyone can reciprocate the way we want to have them reciprocate. Only one is built to handle this unconditional allegiance. Why don't we look back at verse 31. Verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all His angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. There's only one with all glory. Only one sitting on the throne, and that is Jesus. And so, we learn God is the only one worthy of unconditional allegiance. And that is why, dear friends, if you're a teenager, you don't have to give in at that party you don't have to try to make that cool group of people happy. Please the Lord, and it'll work out just fine. That is why, dear parents, we don't have to give in to our kids just so they can be happy for the moment. We can do what's truly best and know that that's best for them as we follow that audience of one. But how many of us have failed at this at one point or another? I know I'm among them. We get tossed and swayed by what people think. And so it's so awesome to know that the one who comes in the end, he's not only the judge, but he's your savior. He's not only the one with the authority to separate sheep from goats, but he's also the one who's laid down his life so that you along with me could be forgiven, so that you along with me could be washed clean of every time we didn't do what we knew we should have. For every time we didn't follow God above all things, we are forgiven. And I want you to know, because of Jesus, right now, your heavenly Father looks down and approves of who you are. There is nothing you have to prove to him because he did it all for you. And now, with the strength that lifted Jesus from the dead on the third day, it's that same strength to live in you to answer to this audience of one. So may God bless you as you continue to live and act and do what God wants. You know, the end of the lesson was basically about how if we really have our hearts aligned with God, we will live for God, sometimes without even knowing it. Getting to the end, and what did I do? Oh, you're saying as I followed you, as I loved you above all things, I pleased you? That's awesome. May that be said of you. And may you hear the words, come, take the inheritance planned for you from the creation of the world, for you are loved by that Savior and Judge.
In Jesus' name may it be so. Amen. Please stand.